Oh, you sure are a crazy son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You think I'm crazy? Yeah. yeah. How are you calling me crazy? crazy? You think yeah. I'm crazy? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you want to see crazy? I'll tell you. Now, that's a real badge. I'm a real cop, and this is a real f***ing gun. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. This is Cheap Seat Reviews. No one in that movie is likable. So I think I, I just saw it before it made an impact. I obviously, oh, there's a naked girl, but. It, much like the house, I feel like the saxophone lick is, is a character in this movie. Hello, and thank you for listening to Cheap Seat Reviews, the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. Uh, Gary Busey's voice saying the greater good. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know how <laughs> to in, in, impersonate that, but it is a very distinct voice, isn't it? It is. Just, uh, my teeth aren't big enough. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> this is episode 404, 404, error code 404. And today we're talking about Lethal Weapon, 1980, oh no, 7? 1987, yeah. Yeah, 1987's Lethal Weapon. I am Sean Allred, and joining me tonight is Andrew. Was ramming a police car into the house always part of the plan, Jimison? I figured that's the best way to get someone's attention. You know, just need a distraction, so just ram a car into your house. Yeah. Okay, that sounds that sounds. Well, it's Gary Busey. You need to uh, you need to go like full hog to get that guy. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, you have to. (laughs) Uh, Because because yeah, you have to. Uh, And making his cheap seat uh, again. No Sam tonight. Uh, If you saw Twitter recently, you'll understand why. But uh, no Sam tonight, Uh, and that's uh, that's okay. We miss him, and uh, we're uh, thoughts and prayers are are with him and his family. Uh, Making his cheap seat reviews debut. Is Darren, man, those machine guns had a lot of bullets from the Nostalgia Cast podcast. Wow, I like that. That's a good, uh, they, they did have a lot of bullets, didn't they? They, they I think uh, Riggs is the only guy that reloads like the whole movie. Yeah. Right? Well, he reloads his pistol a lot. I mean, they, they, they stayed pretty yeah. true with his, with his pistol, but those machine guns, those uh, automatic weapons, man, those things. Went on for days. Just an endless supply of, uh, you know, metal killers. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. That's uh, perfectly fine because this is that kind of movie that we don't really care. So <laughs> let's pull up a chair and dive in to Lethal Weapon. Oh, my gosh. So uh, obviously this is not a new movie. This is a movie that we've all probably seen many times. But, Darren, you jumped on this at the start, I don't even know if I even gave this as an option. I think you just said, "Hey, let's do Lethal Weapon." <laughs> I man, I'm, I'm getting so old that my memory can't. That sounds like me. I'm pretty sure that you gave me a, a list of things, and Lethal Weapon did jump out just because I talk about it all the time on our podcast. Yeah. Just as one of those, uh, it was the first R-rated movie I'd ever seen. It's made obviously made an impact. Um, I mentioned all the time that my mom, I was an only child and my mom was a, just trying to raise me on her own. And so she would just leave me with movies and she rented, I specifically remember she rented Friday the 13th and Lethal Weapon and she left me alone with the VCR <laughs> <laughs> and she went off and worked. And I watched those two movies in a single night 
And that explains why I'm the way that I am, I guess. Nice. So, uh, and I, it's funny, I, I think uh, when I reached out to you to 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 do this, um, I think we did specifically like look in the 80s for films um, because your podcast is called Nostalgia, Nostalgia Cast. And please tell our listeners what is Nostalgia Cast, uh, the Nostalgia Cast podcast. Well, uh, my best friend, best childhood friend, Johnny and I, we, we put a podcast together. It's just, you know, you grow up with these movies and you have a connection to them and you either, you know, it's kind of like long lost relatives. Like you lose, uh, uh, like a connection with them or you lose contact, but you, you're always in the back of your mind. And then, you know, something comes up, you see like a yearbook photo or you get like an old family book, you know, family photo and you're like, Oh, I remember this. I have nothing but good memories. And then let's say you meet that family member and he's like an alcoholic jerk. So you, or, or he's the nicest guy that you've ever met. It's, it's hard to tell. So it's kind of like that with movies, like born in, uh, I was born in 77, Johnny was born in 78. And so the movies that we grew up on were made in the eighties. That's why a lot of them kind of call out to me. I didn't officially become a movie buff until the nineties. So I, I know the nineties movies a little bit better, but I am very partial to the eighties movies. So we take these movies from our childhood, like say that you see a movie in a, a Walmart $5 bin. You're like, Oh, I remember that movie. And so you pick it up and you watch it and, it's either the greatest thing that you, it's just as great as you remember, or it's like, you know, what the hell is this? Like, why did I ever like this movie? What memories do I have of this? So it can go either way. And so again, eighties movies are what I'm more kind of partial to since that's what I grew up on. Um, but yeah, that's basically what we do. We just tackle these movies and we see if uh, they're different when we don't have the rose colored glasses on. Very cool. Right on the, one of the episodes of yours I listened to was your, um, uh, your princess bride episode. And right. I, I, so I was walking uh, at work listening. Uh, usually when I'm listening to shows, I'm either driving or at work. And I had this kind of great moment where I like fist bumped in the air. Uh, I can't remember if it was you or your co-host that made the point that, so we reviewed it on our show, not that long ago, at least it, it feels like it wasn't that long ago. I guess it's been about three or four months, but um, one of the comments was that like the set looks kind of cheap, right? Yeah. And then yeah. and then I made the comment, and it was like during the episode that I had this thought of, well, maybe that's what the kid, because we're seeing it through the eyes of the kid, so maybe yeah. that's how he would imagine it, right? Like it would, it wouldn't look polished, or whatever. He's a he's a ten year old, eleven year old kid, and I, I can't yeah. remember one of you said the exact same thing. And I'm like, yes, I'm not alone. This is great. I am vindicated. So it was kind of cool. Well, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but that is a thought that I've had about the movie for a long, long time. I, you know, growing up with The Princess Bride, it, 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 it's a great movie. Obviously, the William Goldman dialogue, the acting you know, is awesome. But there was always just something nagging me in the back of my mind. I was like, this movie just looks too cheesy and too cheap. Like, it's it's not as great as everybody thinks it is. But then you kind of hit that uh, – moment in your life where you're like, well, hold on. Like it, this whole world, it is pictured to this, the, the mind of this 12 year old. And that goes from everywhere from the acting to the music. So why do everybody like this? It, it kind of like subconsciously like appeals to your inner child. Cause that's, again, that's why you would look at it that way. And that kind of raised it from, yeah, this is a good funny movie to like almost, you know, a masterpiece level where there's different levels going on. I just thought that was a very, uh, you know, interesting way of looking at the movie other than the, uh, just the dialogue and the acting. So yeah, I, I will definitely, I will definitely take credit for making that comment. Yeah. As you should. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like I said, it was just, uh, I always liked the movie, but it was just kind of cheesy. And then, like I said, it just has that one moment where you're like, well, yeah, that, that does work from that level. And so it does kind of raise your appreciation for it. Yeah. Like Sean said, I mean, when we reviewed it, I think I was one of the, the few that was kind of like, eh, it's not great. <laughs> yeah. But and I think well, that's why but and that, yeah. that helps. Yeah. And to add yeah. some context for listeners who are listening, you know, are listening to this episode because of you, Darren. And that's like, like it was Andrew's first time seeing the movie, mm. you know, yeah. like as an adult. So like I yeah. can see why as an adult seeing it for the first time, you're kind of, mm-hmm. uh, oh, okay. You know, I mean, I'd only seen it like four times or something like that, you know, whereas yeah. Sam and uh, Jesse, our guest, like they, they've watched that movie 50 times. So yeah. like to them, it's kind of like what it is to you. It's this like warm blanket of a, of a thing that you watch when you, whatever. And I've watched it like, all the way through maybe twice or three times. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, but we're, well, you know, once people, Andrew, and I agree, once people tell you it's the greatest movie of all time and you finally settle down to watch it, it's, it's rarely going to live up to those expectations. So yeah. I understand. I can see how, you know, if, if it is something you watched as a child or, or at a younger age that it, it could be nostalgic and, uh, and mean a lot to you. Cause there's movies like that, that I like that are not, not great. Yeah. yeah. You know, so yeah, that that experience for me was American Pie. I was told all through high school that American Pie is the greatest. It, it is our generation's um, Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like it was. This is the thing that defines us. And so then I watched it. I, I none of the jokes were funny. No one in that movie is likable. Everyone sucks. Like, <laughs> like it's not yeah. like I didn't, I didn't resonate. Like the only nice, like the only good guy in the whole movie is uh, his dad. Yeah. And you're like, Gene Levy, right. Gene Levy. Yeah. He's Eugene Levy. He's great. But it's like everyone, like all the teenagers suck. So yeah. anyway, I don't want to get into that. There's a whole episode that I did <laughs> on another podcast where I, uh, my whole purpose for being on that episode was to rip that movie. Uh, which was a lot of fun. Well, I think even Spike Lee gave like a blurb one time when he's like, this is what comedy is a dick and a pie. Like this is what people think is funny. So yeah, it's, I, I I see where that's going from, but we're not here to talk about those movies. We're here to talk about (laughs) lethal weapon, 1987 lethal weapon. Honestly, I didn't expect to go on those kind of tangents, but that's okay. (laughs) Uh, But this is a uh, movie and Andrew is going to tell you what it is just in case for some reason you don't know what lethal weapon is. Two newly paired cops who are complete opposites must put aside their differences in order to catch a gang of drug smugglers. Yeah, okay. It's the odd couple that are cops. I like it. So this is a Richard Donner film, and uh, writers are Shane Black and Jeffrey Bohm. And it wasn't until this viewing where I realized... Oh, right. Shane Black. He's the guy that directed Iron Man 3 and makes all of his mm-hmm. movies at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what he does. But yep. so, Darren, you messaged me earlier uh, before the show that you wanted to talk about Richard Donner. And then we'll, we'll have a chance to do our five word reviews here in just a second. But go go yeah. ahead and, uh, and, and, and lay it on. What, what, what are, where are you wanting to go with this? Well, Richard Donner is one of those directors. He means a lot to me. And so, you know, some of the episodes listening back. Um, and uh, by the way, congratulations on 400 episodes. I was going to say that at the top of your oh, thank you. top of us recording here. But yeah, that's that's a feat. And uh, I enjoy everything that I've listened to so far. But, you know, talking about uh, deaths that hit us hard. Richard Donner was a death that hit me pretty hard. And I think that's because 
you know, when you're a fledgling movie buff and you, you start to fall in love with movies, I say on our podcast all the time, the first director's name that I ever specifically learned on purpose was Steven Spielberg. Because watching Jaws, I was fascinated by that movie. That's the movie that made me fall in love with movies. And I was fascinated that it could scare me like that, that I could identify with the Brody character like that. And what was it about the direction and the story? So my brain was like, what is it about this movie that's making me feel this way? And that's what made me fall in love with that, the medium. And so I was like, who directed this? What did he do? Like, how did he do it? Like, what was the whole purpose? And then the second director that I learned was Richard Donner. And that's because of Superman, the movie. My mom recorded... Uh, I don't know if either of you guys remember or any listener, but when ABC would show the movie of the week, Superman, the movie was so long and they had like a like an additional, like an extended cut. So they split it across two nights. And my mom recorded that on VHS. And I remember becoming obsessed with that movie like I was obsessed with Jaws and just watching it. And again, it was you guys both know the movie, the, the scene where, you know, Clark goes and he, he has that uh, kumbaya with his with Jor-El or whatever. And then he becomes Superman. And it's that shot of Christopher Reeve. And all of a sudden you see him take off from the ice and he flies at the camera and swoops past it and does like a turn. And I remember specifically that moment, like my eyes, like almost popping out of my head thinking, what? Like he's flying, like Superman is flying. Like there wasn't anything, you know, my six-year-old, seven-year-old brain, whatever, there wasn't anything that argued with that. It was just flying. And again, it was like, how is this director making me feel this way? What is he doing? How did he do? And so Superman, I became obsessed with it. And Richard Donner, like, he's so, and I mentioned to you, Sean, that I wanted to listen to the commentary for Lethal Weapon just because I missed that booming, like, grizzly bear voice of his. And he was just this big bear of a man that was just so caring. And you guys talk about the, the when you did your Lethal Weapon 4 episode, you talk about, like, the Goonies, you talk about Lady Hawk. He does so many different, it, it's hard to nail Richard Donner down because he did so many different genres and so many different types of movies that he wasn't just pigeonholed, but, and they all have the same kind of, I don't know, light on its feet, kind of a flavor to them. They, so they feel like Richard Darner movies. Once you find out that's who it is, it's just, you know, there's nothing specifically, you know, Spielberg has his, uh, you can definitely tell it's a Spielberg movie. Sometimes you can tell it's a Fincher movie. Richard Donner doesn't necessarily have that, but he's just got a very loose way of handling actors. And it's just very joyous watching his movies. And so, I don't know. Richard Donner is a guy that I just I adore and especially uh, being a fan of the uh, the Dark Knight trilogy and hearing there's a special feature on the Dark Knight trilogy uh, Blu-rays where he's talking with Richard Donner and they're like having a moment where they're comparing Superman and, and Batman Begins and just that's where Nolan got his appreciation and just, you know, listening to Donner talk and he's very humble and he was like, oh, I'm, I'm so like I'm humbled that you would take me as an inspiration. That was just the kind of person that he is. You know, again, again, like I say, he's a big, loving bear of a man. I just, I miss him to death. Um, just even though he was, what, in his 80s, 90s when he passed on, it's just, you could tell people loved him. And and I think they loved him uh, because of the classics that he created. And, and there's not many of his movies that are not really well done. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love the movie Maverick. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know, and that's a completely different, uh, you know, genre. I mean, it's a, it's a comedy that if you take that and say, uh, you know, the movie timeline that he did, which I also kind of like other people think it's dumb, but I like, I can like it. Um, yeah. but I mean, just two uh, complete opposites and he does them both very well in my opinion. Yeah, Maverick too. That's we're tying that back to Princess Bride. That's a William Goldman script, and it has the same kind of 
humor to it. You know, the, one of the very first lines in Maverick is, you know, you know when he's hanging from the, the rope. And it's just been a shitty horse. week from the start. Yeah, that that line just I died laughing in a theater just because, oh, I this is like a Western princess bride. And so but again, like so many different genres that he does, but they all have the same kind of loosey goosey kind of breath of fresh air kind of tone to them. Um, I think he's just under underappreciated. But again, like when he passed, I was like, oh, like that that's a name that means a lot to me. I'm going to miss that. Even though we have his movies to watch and he hadn't made one in a while. But, you know, he's just just a great a, a great presence on this earth. I think. So I'm staring at his IMDb page, looking at the films that he's directed. And while doing that, I was also looking at Shane Black, which led me to there is going to be a Lethal Weapon 5. So it is already in progress. Mel Gibson is directing it. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's, I'm sure it's probably going to be one of those where they bring in younger people to. Yeah, it it has to be. I mean, these guys, like they they would definitely be retired cops. There's no reason why they would be active duty cops, right? You don't, you're not a cop (laughs) for 50 years, right? Anyway. And let's face it, uh, Riggs is not going to be like commandant. I mean, this is <laughs> no, these guys are going to be like retired, you know, yeah. living on a whatever. And someone, you know, forces them for one last hoorah, whatever. But mm-hmm. my point is that I'm looking at Richard Donner's IMDb list and realized that if I were to take the movies that I, uh, of his, that I've seen the most. And, and if I actually knew what the number was, I, it would probably surprise you to say that it's it's not what you think it is. Because I, I probably did watch The Goonies as a kid probably 20 or 30 times. It was a movie that we had on VHS, and I watched it a bunch. And my dad watched it. You know, he would watch it with me, and there was a part in that movie, and, and Andrew knows exactly what I'm talking about, because as music majors, there's a part when they have to play the organ. And she's looking at the chords on the back, and one the last one, she says, I can't tell if it's a B sharp, or I mean an A sharp or a B flat. And of course, you get to say the joke, if you get it wrong, well, I'll be flat. But that's the same note. It's the same <laughs> note, right? Like, that's literally the same note. Now, I know, like, diehard <laughs> musicians are yelling at me, but Andrew and I know it's the same note. So, like, that always annoyed my dad. Yeah, it, yeah, it sounds same. It's the same key on the piano. Was the point? Yeah. Um, it always, it always drove my dad crazy. Like, she should know the difference, you know. And I guess maybe that's a joke, an inside joke for music people. I guess deep cut. Yeah, it's a deep cut. But if if I were to tell you that it would probably be a toss up between either The Goonies, or Maverick, or Radio Flyer. Ah, uh, yeah. I watched Radio Flyer to death, and I don't really know why, but I always <laughs> really just loved that movie. It's it's a hard movie to watch. I mean, it's about a man yeah. beating his children. Um, it's rough, but I probably and Tom Hanks is at the like he opens and closes the movie. Right? Like he's an older version of he's the one of the kids. He's the older version of Elijah Wood. And it wasn't until, I mean, within the last 10 years that I learned that Adam Baldwin, you know, like Jane from Firefly, he's the dad. He's the, now you never see his face on camera. They never show his face, which I always thought was a really cool kind of directorial choice because you don't, 
that way you don't look at that actor and go, that's the guy that beats children, you know, like, <laughs> um, but I think it actually makes him more menacing that you never see really ever above his shoulders. Yeah. I, I think that's really interesting. And, and I think it's because again, Tom Hanks doesn't remember, you know, the, uh, uh, Elijah Wood's character doesn't remember what he looks like. He just remembers the actions. I think yeah. that's really interesting. Anyway, Radio Flyer. If you want to go watch a movie about kids fighting back against the abuse of father, <laughs> uh, who also it's got a good Hans Zimmer score. I know that. Oh, he did that score. Yeah, know that. that's a fun one. I didn't know that. Yeah, that movie. I mean, they. I mean, like, if I were to tell you that it's about a movie about two kids who build an airplane to escape an abusive father. Like, yeah, yeah, they use the power of imagination to uh, to escape abuse. Yeah, <laughs> and build. I think they remade that as Sucker Punch, right? Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, enough tangents. Let us talk about yeah. Lethal Weapon, the first one. Uh, you know, what we d- we didn't do, and maybe we can later. We can talk about which ones are our favorite of the of the of the quartet. Um. Because I'm always interested to kind of hear people's opinion on that. So, but let's do five word reviews. So, Andrew, why don't you lead off? Okay, I've got two, uh, and there's a hyphenated word here. Uh, this is the second week that I have uh, two five word reviews. I'm impressed. I don't normally follow that that rule. Um, so, '80s buddy cop action flick goodness. Okay, that's number one, and then number two, beginning to a fun franchise. Um, yeah, this movie and the, the whole franchise, but I I know we'll talk about this one specifically. They're just fun. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, Sam's not with us tonight, but he always makes the comment. This is a fun movie. I had a lot of fun with this. And this is one of those movies that you just have fun with. Um, and it's well done. Um, I will say that looking back at it now, the story and the, uh, as far as the plot is is concerned that part still holds up um but you know there are some things like that's that's really some cell phone that they pull out a couple times in this that looks like something that you would wear the suitcase yeah um but uh you know things like that age it a little bit and then there are some audio things that bothered me you know where they recorded some lines in a studio and then put them in or recorded some months later and put them in uh, or overdubbed some things Uh, like there's a scene where Murtaugh is singing and you can tell it's like, yeah, he did that. He did that separately in a studio somewhere where they're Um, at the the kitchen table. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, other than that though, this is, it's a fun thing and all of the acting uh, from the main characters anyway, is really well done, I think. Um, uh, Gary Busey, this might be his finest role. You know, I haven't seen him in a whole lot, but he makes a great bad guy, and I think he's been a bad guy in a couple of different things. But I, this might be his better uh, role before everything went downhill. <laughs> so uh, before the horror nightmare 3d action whatever that was that commercial he did the interview he did but um yeah so 
I don't have a whole lot to say about this. I did take a couple of notes, which was uh, uh, the, the cell phone was one, but then the the line that mommy says policemen shoot black people <laughs> that could not be more poignant Mm-mm. today. I, and it shows this was done in 1987. It's sad that we have not changed as a society in a lot of ways. And and that unfortunately still holds up um, today. Uh, So I did take that down. And then his, his wife that passed away, Victoria Lynn, uh, that name sounds like a porn name. And that's really all I, all I got. Yeah. So I, I definitely uh, bumped on the, uh, my mom says cops shoot, black people and uh the the problem with the movie is this is this is like the only part of the movie that didn't age well is that it's played for as a joke because there's no like even murtaugh is just stammering like he doesn't know what to do with that and he's like how about ice cream to distract the children (laughs) you know yeah and and i know this is not the movie to have social commentary you know this is this is not that movie and in 87, I don't think we were ready as a nation to have that conversation yet, but it'd be a lot less funny if it didn't come from a kid, you know, if it was adults chat, like the, cause the kids kind of innocent. So that's just the reaction of on their uh, your rigs of Murtaugh's faces. I think that's what kind of sells it as a comedy moment, but I yeah. did write that down. And I was like, Whoa, yeah. <laughs> Some of this movie ages better than, uh, than we think. Yeah. I mean, like, it's the same thing, right? It's the same thing from Kindergarten Cop when the kid says, mommies have vaginas and daddies have penises. Like, you know, because it's a kid that says it, like, that's what makes it funny. Yeah. Uh, and and the inverse is true also. When you have Betty White in Lake Placid say, if I had a dick, I'd tell you to suck it. Like, <laughs> like that's amazing that they got Betty White to say that, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Darren, what's your five word? My five word, I've got buddy cop thriller par excellence. Just nice. because, it, you know, the, the buddy cop thing, you had in the heat of the night, say you had 48 hours, like that kind of gave birth to the whole buddy cop thing. I think Lethal Weapon, it kind of gets kicked a lot because it started a lot of the tropes that we're most familiar with. But it also does it. It's interesting listening to the commentary because when they wrote, when Shane Black wrote the script, he went through different permutations, but he didn't specify their race. It's just Riggs and Murtaugh. There's no reason. And, and Donner gives, he, he tells a story about how uh, Marion Doherty, the, the casting director, when they were looking for Murtaugh to cast him, she was like, yeah, what about Danny Glover uh, from Lilies of the Field or not Lilies of the Field, from The Color Purple, um, you know, where he played the bad guy. And Richard Donner says, well, my first reaction was, but he's black. And then he goes, but me being a liberal, that was an eye-opening moment because that made me more aware that like race you know, it doesn't matter. Like, and it, that's not something that should be focused on. And what I loved about the script is they don't make a mention of, oh, that they're different races. And I don't know if it's a trope, but I, I like that it's, you know, the white guy is the reckless guy for a change. If you look at 48 Hours and Eddie Murphy's the criminal and Nick Nolte's the racist, kind of the, 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 the do-gooder or whatever, they flip it. So Murtaugh from the beginning is a respectable family man and he's living like a great life and his, his family is all well-rounded and they're... And it's Gibson that doesn't have a handle on things. I just like that it's such a refreshing, you know, kind of switch from like 48 hours. And that's where a lot of the joy comes from. A lot of the notes I have here, I love that like Murtaugh's family, they just accept Riggs like without question. Like they bring him in. He's a, a member of their family just from the beginning. And, and they all feel 
like real people. They don't feel like sitcom characters. They feel like they've got like hopes, dreams. They're all very warm. It's you want to hang out with the Murtaugh's. And it's just, again, because it doesn't, the opposite of 48 hours, because it doesn't make the race a thing. It just focuses on the, the job at hand and them being friends. I think that makes it timeless in a way. And, and it, you know, cause we don't have to focus on that. It kind of sets all that stuff aside. So they just focus on the scripting. That's, that's, that's the main takeaway. And I, I really like, um, you can tell that they have a bond. You can tell that Gibson and Glover, they like each other. And that's the chemistry is hard to get. Oh yeah. And, and you can tell as the series goes on, as the franchise goes on, that that friendship is still there. Um, yeah. and they just, they work well together. Um, one thing that I thought of as you were talking, um, about the family and, and how they're not sitcom I, um, really love how also throughout the franchise, the house itself, Murtaugh's house is a character. Yeah. Like it becomes a character in the movies. Uh, one of the things I have, I noticed for the first time, you know, when you first see Murtaugh, like he almost slips on the eggs or whatever, but their house is already being remodeled. Like there's a part of the, the, the wall that's, that's ripped apart. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they've been built, they've been working on this house since the very beginning of the franchise. Yeah. You know, and they keep like building and, and adding different things. I just, so you're right. It definitely becomes a character. And to the point, again, in the commentary, I think Donner's being kind of interviewed by somebody and the guy's like, oh, those stairs look familiar. Isn't that where Jet Li like kind of dove over for the first time? You see him kick somebody. He's like, yeah, that's so it does. I like that point, Andrew. It does become a character. It's interesting. Oh, Jet Li. Um, one of my favorite. <laughs> we will one day probably do all four of these films on the podcast. I think that would be fun to do. Yeah. And uh, but one of my favorite little nuggets of trivia was so that Lethal Weapon 4 was Jet Li's uh, American film debut. Yeah. And they're asking, you know, a couple of years later, like, you know, so what's it like being working in Hollywood now? And he goes, it's great, except everywhere I go, I'm the bad guy from Lethal Weapon. Yeah. You know, he's like, I'm known as the guy that tried to kill, you know, Mel Gibson. And he's like, <laughs> I'm a really nice guy. <laughs> so... Yeah. It's well, it's the same funny. thing your Ghostbusters episode, William Atherton. People like trying to pick fights with him on the street just because he played a bad guy character in a movie. It's, yeah. it's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is funny because there are other like bad guy, you know, character actors. I mean, like you look at Gary Oldman and go, well, he was a bad guy in a lot of stuff, but he was also a good guy in a lot of stuff. And he's obviously a really good actor. So like he just seems like a guy that if you met on the street, like if you just said, hey, you know, can I shake your hand? Like you'd be like, yeah, okay, what's up? But then yeah. there are other bad guy characters where you're like, like he just said, it's like, oh, you're the you're the asshole from Ghostbusters and Die Hard. You deserve to get punched <laughs> in the face. <laughs> Kick. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My five word review is I gotta scroll up here in my notes, is the perfect buddy cop film. Just nice and simple. Hard to argue with that. Yeah. yeah it's just. I think me and Andrew said that exact same thing. Yeah. Basically, we've all said kind of a permeation. Permeation. That's that's a word of the same thing is that it's a buddy cop and we like it. Um, I did take a lot of notes, though, but I don't think that that is indicative of me not liking the movie. I just think that it's indicative of I've seen this movie four or five times. So I don't have to like night last week when we did Nightmare Alley. I took like five notes because I was so engrossed in the movie. I was afraid to look at my screen. Whereas, you know, this time it was like, I, I can, 
I can watch and just have a good time and take a note. And like, it's not really, I'm not going to miss anything because I've seen this movie enough times. I haven't, uh, well, the third one's probably the one I've seen the least. I'll, I'll admit that, but, um, yeah, but my notes on this were just a lot of fun. You know, like my first note is I have no memory of the naked girl jumping. And I think that's because most of the times I've watched this movie was on TV, like TVS or TNT. And, that would have been edited pretty heavily because her boobs yeah. are all over that opening scene. Mm-hmm. They are. And I, I did think about that as I watched it. I thought, cause I thought the same thing. Cause I, I remember it because I've watched this on the streaming service before, but my, most of my memory like you is from like a TV edit. And yeah. I was thinking, as I saw that, how did they do that for TV? Because there's not a lot you can show. Yeah. Yeah. Probably zoomed in. When I was thinking, I was watching it with my wife and I was like, you know what? Like, I think I saw this when I was 10 or 11. And I asked her, when is the point where boys like start noticing things like that? Because I remember watching uh, Romancing the Stone in a theater in 1984. And there's a part where Michael they, Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner, they slide down like a, a mudslide and uh, Michael Douglas lands in the middle of Kathleen Turner's legs. And I remember as a seven or eight year old, like oh, there was, it stirred some feelings in me that was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm thinking here. But then, like I said, watching Lethal Weapon at home by myself on VHS, it, it doesn't, as a 10 or 11 year old, it didn't strike me as anything memorable. There was this naked woman on screen. And so I was like, I, did I just miss? Was it like the next year that my libido kicked in and I started noticing things like that? You know I mean? Cause it, I, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't remember. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good uh, way to pin that. You would know, <laughs> right? So I think I, I just saw it before. It made an impact. I obviously, oh, there's a naked girl. But and again, it's weird that my mom would show that to me and think it was fine. And it's weirder that she would show Friday the Thirteenth to me. You know, where there's more of that and there's murders and you know gruesome, gory murders, stuff like that. But. I don't know. It's just, it's the way Donner shoots it. It's just very, very matter of fact. It's just a girl. She was up to some business before she does a line of Coke and she just jumps off the building. She's not really thinking about it. So I don't know if it's sexualized in a way that would make it memorable in that way. I think uh, when you see Mel Gibson's butt in the next, that's more sexualized than her jumping off the building. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. You're right. Well, I I mean, notice that he is either shirtless or naked in a lot of this movie. Yeah, you got to give the note that I had here is wow nudity for both the girls and the guys. You know what I mean? So <laughs> he was a, a, a good looking piece of meat. I remember back in the day. Yeah, well, we saw that last week in Nightmare Alley where we got to see a little bit of uh, Bradley Cooper's meat there. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. Okay, so you should brand that. Yeah. So I've watched, okay, so we all watch TV and we've all probably watched a couple of cop shows here and there. And mm-hmm. the one cop show that I watch routinely is called The Rookie with Nathan Fillion. And one of my my actual cop friends who's a neighbor, I was like, hey, I, you're a cop, so you probably don't watch cop shows. And he's like, yeah, not really, because they're all just such garbage. And I said, but there's a show called The Rookie. And he goes, actually, I like The Rookie because that's actually pretty close to what cop life is like. I was like, that's kind of cool, you know, because they use different verbiage. You know, like the word squad car is what idiots like us say and TV people. They don't. It's not called that. It's called their shop. It's their office. It's where they work. So 
you said you you know like in movies where you see like you know they always say get in the squad car no it's called the shop you know and they and the computer inside the you know the the shop isn't called a computer it's called their box we'll send the information you know look it up on the box so they have this different kind of whatever and also in the show they get a little bit more into the weeds on certain procedures like so, so my point is, is that there's a moment when they go to they go to the pool house, right? They go to the house with the big fancy pool, and then the guy shoots them, and they and you know Murtaugh drops him, he shoots him in the leg, right? And Murtaugh goes over there and he's he's yelling at him to pull his hands out. Let me see your hands. But the guy never complies, and and all I could, so I literally wrote this. And I said, I hate to say it, but Roger is a bad cop. He should have secured <laughs> the guy before putting his weapon away because he literally. Yeah holsters his gun he's all like look at me i saved the day now we can yeah. you know like he's like having a happy dance and then the guy you know pulls a gun out of his pocket and then they have to shoot him and the whole thing in the water but mm-hmm. like all i could think of is all you, you have literally that your job is to get down there and take his hands from him you know what i'm saying so anyway there's there's a couple moments where the cops in this movie are really bad i mean they're just bad <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I think that's kind of a trope that we see in a lot of buddy cop films is a lot of the cops are not good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, character wise, it all like that comes almost directly after Riggs jumps off the building with that suicide guy. Yeah. And said they have that big fight. And so Murtaugh's like, obviously, he wants to shove it in his face that this is how you do a job. You don't do all this other. But it's that it's the character interplay, even though they're kind of shying away from the more uh, technical aspects of it. It's. Because when you see Gibson and, and Glover or, or Riggs and Murtaugh talking, I like that when they're talking shop or talking about the case on the boat, it, you don't really focus on the details that they're talking about as much as you focus on these guys are getting along. Like they're starting to like they're, – they're finding a common ground and they're working towards a common goal. And that's – I that was a note that I had here is some of the exposition, you know, when they're talking about, you know, they might have laced the drugs or things like that. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I never noticed that before because I'm too busy noticing – the chemistry between the actors. I think that's a, that's a sign of a good movie or a good direction or good writing. When you don't notice that exposition that you're getting information. I don't know. I, I, I like, did you guys, what did you guys think of the chemistry between them and how, like how the script layered that through? I thought it was kind of brilliant. Honestly, I, I like Shane black. I like the way he writes. Um, I'm also like one of the eight people in America that like Iron Man three. Um, I'm one of those. And not just because it was filmed in North Carolina. Um, I have to remind people of that. But, uh, and boy, did I try my hardest to get on that film set. I tried. I had a couple people work on it. I'm like, do you you need a guy for like one day? No, sorry. Okay. It's Marvel. They're like, no. Uh, So anyway, but I, I, yes, I I like that. I do like that we're getting, um, I mean, it's, you know, I like that we're getting exposition while they're also having a dick measuring contest at the shooting range. You know, mm-hmm. I mean like that's a lot of fun, right? If you're going to be the best scene in the movie, I remember, do you guys ever, there's sometimes there's a certain scene in a movie that auto, you, you, you watch and you're like, this is a movie that I'm going to be watching for a long, long time. Like that, because of that one scene when he does the, the having like he puts the smiley face in it, such a good, character moment just the way you know Murta's like oh, shit you know just the way that they're it's such a 
And the sad thing is, I don't know if you guys, you talking about the TV edit, they cut that part out because obviously you got to worry about ads. It cuts to the part where you see him, like Riggs brings his thing and it's just one shot. And Murtaugh goes, do you sleep with that thing under your pillow? And Gibson said, and Riggs says, I would if I slept. And that's when they cut to the next scene. And it always drives me crazy because I'm like, that's a great character building moment that sells the movie and you, you cut it out. I don't care about the exp- expository stuff. I want that character stuff. That's what I love this movie for. I think I think I know why they cut that out, and that's simply because of a few times in the film. There, there's that moment, and then there's the moment where Murtaugh is standing in the, uh, you know, out in the desert, out right. in the field, or, and and it just takes. It seems like it takes forever for anything to happen. You just hear the music, uh, and there's nothing happening as far as in the film. And the same thing happens there in the shooting range where. Riggs is humming to himself, but like you said, to me, that that is building his character. It's showing it who he is. Like he's well, a little bit nuts because he's <laughs> he's sending that that target out to the end of the range and they're bringing it back. Uh, but it, it does have a little bit of it does cause a little bit of downtime if you're not really thinking about those uh, character building moments. Well, the so the part that I like about the scene specifically to Darren's point is with the character building is that or the character showing whatever is that there's, there's two parts about it. One to your point, Andrew, that it's slow. This is the gag that family guy would do later when Peter Griffin trips and falls and he hurts his knee and <laughs> he just does the noise back and forth. <gasps> oh, you know, but, but like four times is okay. But when you do it 15 times, that's when the, you know, it's funny. Like, so it's not just the fact that he pushes the, the target out. It's the fact that we as the audience have to stand there and awkwardly wait for him to send the target <laughs> all the way down. And Murtaugh is like squinting to see it, right? <laughs> That's the gag. And then he's so cocky as it's coming back, right? But it ties back into the previous scene, right? This yeah. is this is the funny, the previous moment, because we, we leave them. You know, Riggs is leaving Murtaugh's house and they've had the fun family dinner. And then they're kind of having this moment at the curb where Riggs goes super dark when he's like, I was in, when I was in the war, I shot a guy at, you know, 2000 meters. I don't remember the line, but like there's like eight or or nine guys in the world that can do that. So he says this story that's really cold and chilling, right? Okay. It says when I was 19, I did a guy in Laos with a rifle shot at a thousand yards in high wind, maybe eight or even 10 guys in the world could have made that shot. It was the only thing I was ever good at. So yeah, you're right. It, it does. And that ties back in later at the desert where Riggs is all the way out there with his sniper rifle. He's able to take out the bad guys. And so, yeah, that is a character. You, you don't, you, there's a difference between show, not tell, you know, or tell, not show or show, not tell or whatever, you know, Riggs tells that story, but then at the shooting range, you see him do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they play it as a gag, so it feels comfortable, I think. I don't know. It sells it instead of it being, you know, instead of, oh, this is them showing that what he's talking about. The way that they make it comedic and funny, that's one of the charms of this movie is that's what you you kind of, all your, like your, your, the things you push up against in the movie, they kind of, they go into the, they fade into the background because the movie is just so charming and it's so funny. And again, I think that's the Donner influence in the, you know, uh, Gibson and Glover kind of pairing off each other. Yeah. You know, one thing that I I never noticed until viewing it this time, and this says a lot about the whole franchise and uh, and, and, and me, I guess, um, is that Riggs is the lethal weapon. 
like I didn't get it until this viewing. Um, and there's a line in there somewhere that, that mentions that. And I'm sure Sean probably caught it yeah. or captured it. But, um, but also on the, the movie poster, it says two cops, Glover carries a weapon. Gibson is, is one. one. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I never put that together until this viewing. Interesting. Uh, last couple notes. I'm going to uh, cruise through here before we do clips. Uh, and that is, one of the other things that I hit on that again doesn't age well, and that's because we live in a in a time now where we are more aware of mental health now than we have ever been in our society. Mm-hmm. So I like the fact that they write in a character of the lady shrink, the lady you know um, head doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she's just completely ignored, and. They even do yeah. the thing where she's like, there is something wrong with Riggs. And the captain is just like, he's fine. He's a guy. He's a blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He's whatever. And she's like, he's suicidal. And he's like, I tell you what, if he kills himself, then we'll know that I was wrong. And like, again, it's played for the laugh, right? I mean, Darren, like you just yeah. laughed. Like it's, it is a joke. Yeah. But like, once again, you know, I, you know, the movie has an opportunity to actually talk about mental health. I think, and again, and this is a trope that it passes on, right? Like this trope is done even to the farther degree in bad boys Two, where, you know, Martin Lawrence mm-hmm. says to Will Smith, he's like, did you go see your shrink? And then he sees, he remembers him basically having sex with the shrink. Right. And so then he goes, yeah, I saw my shrink. And he goes, you're supposed to work your shit out, not bang your therapist, you know? So like, like even that movie is, you know, doing yeah. the same thing. So it's just, well, and that just goes to, you know, these, those scenes would not be in movies today or they would be handled differently. Today. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you watch the, as the franchise goes, the other note I had here is the, the series, even though they're all R rated, it becomes more family friendly as it goes on. I mean, I, I, I can't recall a movie where your hero, the first one of the first scenes you see is he like freaks out of those guys at the Christmas tree lot and you can tell something's not right with them and the, all the other cops know it. But then it cuts to the scene with him in his trailer. And, you know, when is the last time you saw a protagonist put a gun in his mouth? You know what I mean? And, and it, it sells the, the thing that sells that moment is not that he you know doesn't go through it. It's that he all of a sudden he breaks down like you. You, the, the female doctor, who, by the way, I think her name is Mary Ellen, Mary Ellen Trainer. She was married to Robert Zemeckis for a little bit, I think. No. Um, but you, you hear her talk about it, but then you see, you know, you've seen, we know what, what Riggs is going through. You know what I mean? So they, it's more of a, again, it's a show, not tell, where we don't really talk about it, but you see this stuff in action. Um, and one of the, I don't know if you guys felt the same way. The thing that I really, really loved about the movie is, Riggs and Murtaugh need each other. You know, Murtaugh's kind of tight-laced and then having Riggs in his life kind of makes him come out of his shell a little bit and he's able to kind of loosen up. And then Riggs, which who gets the maybe the deeper character arc, is seeing Murtaugh's family, it kind of grounds him and it gives him something to live for. And so they they need each other. I, I just thought that instead of it just being these two guys that meet and then they, they pair off, they actually, you can tell that these guys are, you know, friends for life, that kind of thing. I, I don't know, I, I liked... He's not cured at the end, obviously, because Lethal Weapon 2, he kind of rigs resorts, you know, reverts back to that kind of dangerous side toward the end when he's pushed too far. But um, I like that that the Murtaugh character is able to give Riggs that purpose 
that to the point where he gives Rianne the bullet at the end. I'm not going to need this anymore. Or, you know, when, when Murtaugh says, you know, if you think I'm going to eat the world's worst Christmas turkey by myself, you're crazy. And, and Riggs says, I'll let you in on a secret. I'm not crazy. And they look at each other and, and Murtaugh's like, I know, you know, so they've, I really like that relationship. And that's, that's what sells it more than the action for me or more than the, like we talked about the expository stuff. It's just the, their friendship is just, I think that's what makes this movie last. It's why it makes it work. And their friendship goes from like zero to a hundred pretty quick. I mean, they bond pretty quick, you know, like, which I think is kind of cool. And it almost kind of feels real life. Cause when you literally have people shooting at you, I think that kind of intensifies everything. You know, because at the beginning, you know, like they're doing the scene where he's like, put the gun in your mouth, you know, and like, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get some food. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, so then like the next scene is like the thing at the pool. Right. And so at that point, they're like, okay, they're, they're kind of okay. And then, and then like that night, like it's that night he's over at their house having dinner. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, it, it, it does and go. Rianne's and like hitting on him. And- <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there's. There's a, but it's pretty, you're not, again, you're right. This movie is, uh, all four of these movies are based on their friendship, right? And then, of course, you add in Leo in the next film, and then you have the buddy trio. But Leo is just there to be comic relief in a movie that already kind of has that. So, mm-hmm. you know, but he's, he's funny and that's fine. Um, I was just blown away. So, I mean, you mentioned the psychologist and uh, you know her name, so I'm looking at her IMDb credits. Uh, she passed away in 2015 at age 62, which is really sad. I mean, it's really young. Uh, but she's been in so many movies that I've seen. Oh, my gosh. Like, this is the woman that has been in everything. So, for example, she's in Romancing the Stone as the sister. And she's yeah. in Goonies as Mrs. Walsh. And, of course, she's in this. And then... She's in Die Hard. So I, I saw Al Leong in this movie, right? He's the yeah, torture yeah. guy. I'm like, oh, hey, he's the Die Hard connection. And then I see her. Oh, we have another Die Hard connection. And then there's the the only other black cop in the force that's talking Grand to Grand L. Bush. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. wait, he's one of the FBI guys. So like this thing he's is one of the Johnsons. Yeah. He's one of the Johnsons, <laughs> which I love that line. I mentioned that when we recorded this episode, when he gets on the phone, right? And he's like, hey, this is Agent Johnson. No, the other one. No, the other one. <laughs> I always wanted to know what that person said. Is it the white one? Yeah. You know, the old one? You know, like, 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 what does he say? No, the other one. Like, I always wanted to know. Anyway, <laughs> so she does Die Hard and then Scrooged, which also directed by Richard Donner. So, like, they're obviously yeah. friends. Uh, she's in Ghostbusters 2. Uh, obviously, the rest of the... She's in Back to the Future 2 as uncredited. Like she's in so many things. This is great. Death becomes her. She's in the little giants. Oh my gosh. She's in the little giants. Oh yeah. That's too funny. As Karen O'Shea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's the the wife of uh, yeah. uh, Rick Moranis. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Congo executive decision. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> I have seen more of her work than I have of almost anyone else. This is crazy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and then Freaky Friday in twenty and uh, Ot three. That's funny. All right. Anyway, so um, going to take talking about characters. Um, Rianne, I think was the daughter's name, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Tracy Wolf, I watching these movies, I always thought she was so much younger because she's portrayed as younger, but she's only four years younger than Mel Gibson. Yeah. And 14 years younger than Danny Glover. I think she was 27, 27 years old when she shot 27. Wow. No. <laughs> I mean, she looked like an 18 year old in this movie. Yeah. So this is funny. So talk about a woman that took a, so she does the four lethal weapon movies and, a, and a, an appearance on the Cosby show and then takes a break for 12 years. No, mm-hmm. that math's not right for 22 years. And then shows back up in a couple episodes of some stuff, an episode of Blue Buds, Blue Bloods, and an episode of SVU. I guess that lead the weapon money ran out. She wanted to do something else, but like DVD sales were low for a while. (laughs) I mean, she probably was doing. I mean, I guess you know, look at her bio and see what she's been doing. But you know, I I say good for her, right? You know, like you don't have Mm -hmm. to be in Hollywood. You know, like if that money's coming in, then do your thing. You know, whatever. I hope she made money off of us watching it. So I don't think that's how it works, but that's fine. <laughs> no, we can dream. Yeah. Or they can. Or they act. <laughs> Anything else before I move on? Did you guys, did you guys like how Gary Busey was kind of the tonal opposite? He was like the, even though he's blonde and in white, a lot of the time he was the dark mirror for Riggs. They both had this, they're both kind of nuts. You know what I mean? And I liked that they had that dichotomy going on there. And then you have the general McAllister, obviously who's the older guy who's in charge and everything, which kind of mirrors Murtaugh, uh, that kind of thing. I, I thought that was interesting. And then yeah, obviously but- you have the trope of Mel. Is this where Mel Gibson's penchant for being tortured comes from? Oh, I don't know. Is that, a- you know, he's tortured in conspiracy theory. He's tortured in Braveheart. He's tortured in payback. He's, he directed passion of the Christ, which is a torture porn movie. <laughs> you know, all the way through. Uh, I, just, I don't know. I just think it's interesting that this is, might be where his uh, his love for torture scenes came in. <laughs> I haven't thought of that, but that's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I just feel like it's a it's a trope that you have to have in a movie like this where one of the characters has to get beat up and tortured and whatever. You know, it's just uh-huh. it just kind of yeah. feels like yeah, somebody somebody's gonna have to. Right. To do this you guys also talk about Lethal Weapon 4 about the, the saxophone and the Michael Kamen, uh, Eric Clapp. Did you guys, and it's hard for me because, like I said, Friday the 13th made an impact because I just thought that a lot of the stuff was so, was so fake that it didn't really uh, like bother me. But, and I don't remember my reaction to Lethal Weapon, but since Lethal Weapon has been a mainstay, obviously it made a positive impact on me because I'm still watching it and still nostalgic for it. But when I watched it in the, you know, 80s or 90s or whatever and hearing the saxophone when it was normal back then i don't hear it as dated i don't know if you guys it's probably my my kind of thing but it it just kind of suits you have the guitar that plays when Riggs is around and the saxophone signifying murtaugh i don't know i have the note that it's you know how do you tell it's an 80s movie you hear saxophone or an 80s song you hear a saxophone in it Um, but to me it doesn't date it because it's always been there i don't know well it, much like the house, I feel like the saxophone lick is is a character in this movie. Like it's just like you said, it's kind of the theme of Rig. I mean, of uh, Murtaugh, and it's yeah. just you know, <laughs> it's in every every installment. To the point where I think there's a joke in Last Action Hero where there's a cop that gets killed and he looks at the camera before he dies, goes three days to retirement, and, he, and you hear the saxophone. Yeah, because <laughs> that was Michael Kamen too. But. Yep. Yep. 
Well, yeah, and it was funny. So I watched this with my wife, as I almost always do, but my mother-in-law is in town, and she watched this with us as well. Uh, and they both of them cued in and went, wait a minute, Eric Clapton? Yeah. And, uh, and I said, well, Michael Kamen did the music, and I guess there's just a song at the end or something that Eric Clapton did. But, um, yeah, Michael Kamen, I mean – I can now, now I got to think about it. Michael Kamen, my favorite score of his, did he, he did, well, I'm going to get this wrong. Didn't he do, um, yeah, Robin, Robin Hood? Hood. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great score. Yeah. That is, that is absolutely probably my favorite of his. I mean, I know I, I've, he's done a bunch and I, and I like him a lot. Uh, and I'm looking at his IMDb now. Yeah. His, he's known for Robin Hood, Prince of these, which is, I mean, it is really good. That is a really good score. And um, and the everything I do song that he co-wrote, obviously. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean that that's a uh, what's his face did that song, so that's fine. Brian Adams. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I couldn't think of his name. Right. But yeah, I mean, oh yeah, oh, gosh, Michael Kamen. Yeah. Uh, now the brain, like my brain, is engaged. Yeah. Band of Brothers, so freaking good. The Iron Giant. Mm-hmm. Um. There's so many other ones that I can go down. I, the other one that really kind of trips my trigger is Mr. Holland's opus. Uh, yeah. Big. Oh, oh and, yeah. and he also did die hard. Of course. Yep. Like I, I did, I, for some reason that always kind of felt like die hard and lethal weapon are like star Trek and star Wars. Like you don't have hmm. crossover. I mean, yeah. like Simon Pegg was like the first crossover between those two universes. Right. I mean, that was after 40 something years of, of a franchise and like, these people are passing back and forth between these two movies. I'm almost surprised they didn't do a crossover, you know, as much, uh, uh crossover, you know, actors and whatever they shared. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anything else? I'm going to play some clips. Uh, I'm trying to make sure I have all my notes, kind of anything that I really said, other than the fact that the cops do kind of suck in this movie. <laughs> uh, no, I oh. think that's all. That's all I have. I think. Okay. The last note I did write is this. So Murtaugh does the cool, the thing with the gun, right? He does the head shake, yeah. whatever. That means he's, he cracks whatever, his neck. He yeah. cracks his neck, which means the next shot he fires is going to be dead center. Yeah. He shoots the driver and the general is in the car and he flips over and then he gets hit by a bus. And all I could think of is I'm all for killing the bad guy, but that bus driver now thinks that he killed this car. <laughs> like that man is now traumatized. <laughs> Because it explodes. Because it explodes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he did his part. <laughs> Which, I have to say this, Andrew knows this, I'm contractually obligated. So the general, that actor, he is our Star Trek connection. He was in an episode of TNG. Ah. So. Mitchell yeah. Ryan. Always right? connects to Star Trek. Everything. Uh, yeah, Mitchell <laughs> Ryan. In fact, when I first saw him on screen, Honestly, the, the my my first uh, was liar liar. That was the first thing that came to me was mm. was liar liar. Uh, but we also just saw him in Gross Point Blank. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, Gross Point Blank. That's there's some other stuff. Oh, in West Wing, he's also in West Wing, which I uh, love yeah. d- dearly. So probably probably too much. In fact, I think it's almost time for my yearly rewatch. Oh. Yeah, I've that lethal weapon can do that for you. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Could reconnect me to West Wing. In fact, I think I saw somebody just post on Twitter or Facebook something like 
my my 13 year old decided that he wanted to get into politics so I'm let, we're watching West Wing together it's kind of a way to kind of ease him into politics and and of course people are like that's great but the problem is is that people on that show act way too nice than the way politics are now yeah <laughs> so all right <laughs> time for some clippy clips now you know I'm gonna capture this I'm too old for this shit you know I was gonna uh-huh. do it you also know that I'm going to capture it. Andrew mentioned earlier, he teased it, that I'm going to capture the, uh, if you say the name of the movie. But I also captured the whole scene for two reasons. Uh, uh, Darren, you don't know this about me, but I was a, I worked in film for a little bit. I was a sound guy. Not a very good yeah, one. You mentioned that. Yeah. But I, I have done it before. And so I'm, but as a sound engineer, as a, as a profession, I'm always a little more in tuned in to when audio kind of is a little janky in your movie. Now, this is going to sound worse hearing it this way than it was in the movie, and I'll explain why in a second. Fowl also said you're heavy into martial arts, Tai Chi and all that uh, killer stuff. I suppose we have to register you as a lethal weapon. Now, there's the name of the movie. Boom. But yeah. the, that's, that's just Murtaugh talking. It's the same actor. But the reason why it sounds so different isn't just because one is recorded in the garage live and the other one is in a studio. But when you cover for the close-up, right, the camera is now close-up on Riggs or on Murtaugh, you can get the microphone a lot closer, right? So like those other shots, it's probably a lavalier. He's wearing a lavalier. They had those in 87. Um, and maybe they had a boom also kind of nearby. It's the, it's the, the, the parking garage creates a, uh, a problem because you can only go so high because there's a roof there. So that's why right. it sounds. Fowl also said you're heavy into martial arts. Like that's why you hear all of the room. But when we get to him leaning on the car. Killer stuff. I suppose we have to register you as a lethal weapon. So that's. I mean, it's a different microphone. Yeah. Everything's different. So when I was watching it, I thought, boy, that's very different. But I also know that that's why, right? Yeah. Like that there's a reason. So I don't fault the movie. There's a little inside baseball and how audio works. Okay. Wow. Cool. Um, I love this, this line because this is a very intense moment. We're talking about suicide, but Murtaugh still makes the joke. Don't nibble on the barrel, pull the trigger. Go ahead, pal. Be my guest. Go ahead if you're serious. You shouldn't tempt me, man. Put it in your mouth. Bullet might go through your, your ear and not kill you. Yeah, under the chin. Yeah. <laughs> like he's making the, like a cartoon joke, right? The bullet's going to go through one side and out the other and not, not kill him uh, in this intense moment. I like it. Yeah. Uh, uh, so then there's this one. I'm too old for this shit. Okay, let's say it again. Yeah. I really hope, Andrew, your game isn't how many times does he say that? <laughs> he, he says it again at the very end, right? Yeah. Yes. Kind of an ADR. Yeah. ADR. yeah. Uh, let's see. I had to splice this one up because it was really long. Andrew, to Andrew's point earlier, there's a lot of moments of just kind of looking and emoting quietly subtly so normally this clip was like 40 seconds long i cut it down to uh nine here you go hey hey riggs yo you really like my wife's cooking no 
see you more. I just like that. But again, you know what's great about that scene? I was just thinking they have the moment where he says, you really like me. And you did. You cut it out. But they have this long moment where they look at each other. But the moment I like is Danny Glover's Murtaugh's face changes like he he knows what's coming. Like, and I don't know. I just it was a fascinating moment for me. And then that's yeah. when Riggs goes, no. And so it just it sells the, the humanness of it. I, I don't know. Just, just great. It's, it's hard to get. It's hard to get that in movies. And they, they got it so well in this. Yeah. Yeah, the, the movie isn't in a hurry, which I actually kind of appreciate. Yeah. Uh, this is a funny line. Oh, shit, Roger. What? The guy who shot me. The guy who shot me? Yeah, what about? The same albino jackrabbit son of a bitch that did Hunsaker. You sure? I'm sure, man. I never forget an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> never forget an asshole. Uh, but again trope right he's just he was shot by a shotgun went through a piece of glass and they don't take him to the hospital you know like any other <laughs> cop vest they, they keep you from harm yeah i mean he says ow that hurt you know i mean like at least they played that up but it's just like again any real cop would go to the hospital there would be 40 other cops there it's a crime scene <laughs> like they just leave <laughs> it's okay uh, and my, la- uh, oh, I missed one. Crap, I missed this one. Uh, like, like Popeye. Like Popeye. A tattoo like Popeye. Oh, not like Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, did you, the, my favorite funny line in the movie that's also a very writerly fan, I don't know if you caught this, but I like where they're on the boat and Rianne comes out and they're talking about her date. And like, and Murtaugh's like, which one is that? And she says this one. And he goes, the kid with the pits in his head yeah. in his face. Yeah. And she goes, those are dimples. And he says, those are pits. When he smiles, I can see through his head. The answer is no. <laughs> I did. But then later after, like you said, when Riggs gets shot, like in, there's an APB that comes out and Murtaugh's like, you know, there, we need you to go over there, Sergeant, because we want to check this out. Like there was a perp, there was someone that was killed. And Murtaugh goes, yeah, he's probably like blonde head with big dimples. And the, the person goes, how did you know that? And so, I, I don't know, as a funny line, it works, but then it also works because it sets you up for a revelation later on. I th- and I think that's a Shane Black thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, and then there's this one. It's 16 seconds, but uh, it's worth it. I don't think Burbank or Cats go like this. I'll put five on the money. I got it, I got it. Burbank's here. Uh, I like it. All right. Rule of threes. Yeah. Yep. Oh, you're about to hear a train. I don't know if you've heard that on our podcast. Who who was it on your podcast that lived by a train? Oh, my gosh. You must have listened to to an old episode. That was Cornelius. He used to live live by a train. It was every night at about an hour into the episode. Do we hear a train? (laughs) Man. Andrew, I don't know what's happening. I feel like it's... uh, uh, yeah, no, it's 2019 or 2015 right now. Uh, this is crazy. Uh, yeah, I still have trains. Weird. <laughs> oh, this is amazing. This is seriously, I'm like having flashbacks of, of Corny being on the show. This is great. Yep. Well, we're getting ready to play the game. And so this game this week is being sponsored by. Hey, Bubblies. I'm Jen, and I'd like to invite you to my bubble. My streaming bubble, that is. And it's the podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. Every week, I tolerate a friend so we can obsess over our favorite streamable contributions to pop culture entertainment. 
So join us every Sunday on a podcast player near you and keep streaming. Bye. Some more bad news. Ready? All right. This is the game called Hey, Did You Notice? This is a game where Andrew asks you and I, Darren, uh, questions back and forth. Best out of five wins. These are not trivia questions. These are questions of things did we notice in the movie just to see how well we were paying attention. Uh, most points win. Uh, you win uh, nothing, but that's okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Andrew. All right. So the first question goes to Darren. Uh, here we go. After the naked girl, Amanda, falls to her death, we cut to Murtaugh's house. What vehicle drives in front of his house? Oh, my gosh. I know it's a car. <laughs> wow, these questions are already not fair. I don't know. A, a Chevrolet, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> wow. Sean? I'm going to guess it's a delivery van, right? Isn't it like the milk delivery or the newspaper you, delivery? You are correct. It is a milk truck. Yeah. yeah. Milk van. Now, that's a little unfair because... They don't have those anymore. What? Well, <laughs> one, they don't have those anymore. But two, um, I I have seen it more recently than you have. I actually saw that specific scene because I was looking for clips, and I almost pulled the happy birthday bit. So oh, I no. literally watched that, that scene about an hour and a half ago. <laughs> uh, me too. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. This question goes to you, Sean. When Murtaugh pulls up uh, to the dead hooker scene, uh, Amanda, where she has jumped, uh, a report of 1041 comes across the radio. Dispatch says this is a drunk white female, drunk, nude, and singing. How tall was she, and how much did she weigh? Oh, oh man. Uh, she was six foot tall, 220 pounds. Darren, do you have a? Have so, a those are my dimensions, by the way. Five three and one eighty. Wow, that's that's good. That's good attention to detail. <laughs> she she was five foot tall and three hundred and fifty pounds. Holy smokes! <laughs> yeah. Wow. Way there off. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we go back to Darren. Uh, while Riggs and Murtaugh enjoy a hot dog after meeting with Hunsaker. There is a movie theater in the background. What movie is showing at the theater? Lost Boys. That's right. This yeah. year's hit, it says. I remember specifically. So like the heat did Donner direct that? No, but I think he produced it. That was a Joel Schumacher movie, I think. There we go. So we're one to one. Sean, we go back to you. Okay. Uh on the boat after dinner, Murtaugh and Riggs have a couple of beers. What brand of beer do they drink? Oh, geez. I don't know. Um it's not it's not like a, a I don't know is it going to be a primary brand like one of the Anheuser-Busch ones no it's it's California right it's got to be something weird right so I don't know I'm just going to say Coors Light but I know that's not right we're, we're paring it down <laughs> you're actually correct it is Coors really oh my gosh <laughs> yeah. good guess nice yeah. that was a total guess that's great alright so uh, two to one all right, Dan, you got a chance to tie it up here. Amanda Hunsaker graduated in 1983, according to her yearbook. What was the name of her high school? Oh, my gosh. 
that is absolutely not fair because I actually wrote down a note that her sister is right next to her. And I noted that she graduated in 83 in case you asked this question, but I don't know the name of the high school. Wow. Yep. The yearbook said class of 1983. And then it said the name of the high school. Oh, I don't know. Oh that. no. Sean, do you have a guess? I, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> North Iredale high school. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Palos Verdes, which, oh, uh, it translated means green sticks. In case you're curious, I was. Oh, Thank nice. you. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I guess <laughs> who I had two points. I did. Okay, <laughs> that's two weeks in I a row. I was keeping track, really. I just knew somebody had two. So, congratulations, there, Sean. Oh, good. Don't worry, Dan. Nice. I'll still uh, mail you some stickers. You're good. <laughs> I appreciate it. At least I got one. That's yeah. Nice. <laughs> Honestly, like the fact that I got two is kind of impressive because usually our games end in one zero or half to, you know, half points. <laughs> yeah. Well, the ones you got right were liquid based milk and beer. That's so. true. <laughs> I'm currently drinking uh, a, an Arnold Palmer right now. So. There you go. More liquid. All right. Time for this. Uh, as soon as my computer. Excuse me while I whip this out. Top three. Tonight we're doing buddy cop films. We've done it before. We don't care. We're doing it again because, well, we haven't done it in a long time. And there's so many movies to choose from that this is just a fun category. So, uh, Darren, I'm actually going to let you go first. Okay, do you want me to name my all three or just the, yep. the first one? The go, go all okay. three. Okay, well, I'm sticking with, uh, I know some people count like Midnight Run as a buddy cop, even though neither of them are cops. So I'm, I'm sticking with movies that are about one of them, either both of them are cops, one of them is a cop, or they're either the form of a cop. So number one, I actually have a tie. I've got Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 as my number one. All right. Uh, and I don't know if we're going to, we, we still want to talk about where we'd rank the sequels, but I, I do have that one as a tie. Um, number two, I've got 48 Hours. Just because I think there's a, a series called Voir or Voyeur or something like that that's on Netflix. And Walter Shaw, the critic, did an episode on 48 Hours about the racism in the movie. And if you see 48 Hours again today, it's very like brazen and it's uncomfortable as a movie because it's there's it's more sharp edge than it is funny. But again, it set the tone and it made Eddie Murphy a star. So I'm going to have 48 Hours as my second. And then for a third, I just think that the Tommy Lee Jones, Will Smith chemistry and men in black. I think that's uh, maybe secondary to uh, Gibson and Glover as far as them getting along and inspiring each other. Just at the center of a very funny movie, their characters are just well-written in the middle of a well-written movie. So those are my, my uh, top three. Lethal Weapon 1 slash 2, 48 Hours, and Men in Black. Cool. I like it. Um, I wrote down a bunch on this because I could, and I wasn't sure what you were going to say. So um, I have two honorable mentions. Andrew, if I take one of these as you're from, from you, feel free to adjust. So my two honorable mentions are one, Bad Boys 2. Uh, I like Bad Boys 2 better than one, uh, but that's fine. And my other one honorable mention is Zootopia. Yeah. I, I like that movie. Never. Yeah. Uh, my actual number three is Die Hard 3 with um, Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson. Uh, my number two is Rush Hour, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. And my number one is Hot Fuzz. <laughs> I love Hot Fuzz so much. Great one, it yeah. makes me so happy. Andrew. Well, I too had Bad Boys 2 on my list, but I will I will adjust. That 
that movie still makes me cry laughing when uh, when uh, Martin Lawrence takes the ecstasy. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Equal to the uh, the the quaaludes in uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, number three, I have R.I.P.D. Uh, you know, I saw that. That's a bad movie, but I still have fun with it. <laughs> it's a fun bad movie. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, number two, I ha- speaking of bad movies. Number two, I have the other guys with Will oh. Ferrell and uh, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. <laughs> I got laughs, gut busting laughs from that one. That's really funny. And then number one, I have the last action hero. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Twitter was more active on this one than it has been recently, which is great. So give me a second. This is going to take a minute. Cameron from green shirt podcast says tango and cash, the nice guys and dead heat. Uh, speaking of the nice guys, I have a connection with that. One of my friends who was an actress that I worked with in another movie, she is the girl that's dressed up as the Native American who hit, <laughs> hits on uh, Ryan Gosling in that movie. Uh, yeah. That's that's my friend Lexi. Huh. Uh, Jesse from Sudden But Inevitable and from Open Pike Night, their new show. He and Cameron have a show together called Open Pike. It's really good. They say, He says, Hot Fuzz, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and Rush Hour. So he and I are pretty close together. Trip Rogers, our good friend uh, and fellow America's Next Top podcaster contestant. Tango and Cash, Running Scared and Lethal Weapon. Uh, Binge Lord Dan says, oh, he says, uh, I mean, wait, hold on, what? Did he correct himself? No? Okay, it's just a weird tweet. He wrote, I mean, Lethal Weapon, duh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, The Nice Guys. I have a thing for Shane Black. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Tabby from Happy Hour, the Happy Hour podcast says the fuzz, hot fuzz, not the fuzz, no, <laughs> but hot fuzz, super troopers, and the other guys. Heather Sachs at, at Dork of All Dorks says, My current top three, which changes with my mood, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, men in black, running scared. The porn stash podcast, I think this is their first time participating, says lethal weapons one through four, Beverly Hills Cop one and two, and the other guys. And at Lee Zimmerman says 48 hours running scared and lethal weapon. So thank you all so much for participating. I really appreciate that. It's a wide range of buddy cop. It is a wide range of buddy cop. So here's, we're just going to take a moment here and just say, how would we rank the four lethal weapon movies? Cause I, we are going to do more of them. I I'm just making an executive decision and saying that we will do all four of them before we're done podcasting. But uh, Andrew, what would you do for, how would you rank these? Well, I have a, there's a special um, place in my heart for number four because I was in eighth grade when it came out and I was at the age where I was allowed to watch a rated R movie. And so I think this might've been uh, lethal weapon four might've been the first rated R movie. I was like allowed to see with my parents in the room and everything. Um, and I remember distinctly buying the DVD myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a little bit of nostalgia for me on that one. Um, and that was actually the first one I ever saw. I hadn't, mm-hmm. you know, until the other, until I saw that one, I never saw the other three. Um, but I would say that one, then probably number one and then two, well, yeah, two and three. So in that order. So four, one, two, three, I think. All right, Darren. 
Uh, I kind of already gave it away. I think if, if I had to, I'd probably prefer the second one. I just think it's a, it's an easier, more enjoyable, pleasurable watch. I think in the first, the, the whole part where they take Rianne hostage and they're trying to, that's, it's so tense and it is involving, but you know, it's, it's exhausting in a way because it does get you involved a little. T- I, I just like that. So I would have Lethal Weapon 2 as my favorite just because I think it's a, a great sequel. They don't like pound like things. It's, it's a, like an advancement of the characters. I like that it indulges in uh, Riggs's more fun side, but then it also, again, when you, the, the twist in the movie where you find out what happened to his wife, he reverts to his dangerous self. So it has that callback to it. And then it also has the thing where, where Murtaugh does his neck crack at the very end. It, it has distinct callbacks that I think work. And then like you talked about Sean with Joe Pesci, I think adding him in, it kind of adds a freshness to it. So it's not just Riggs and Murtaugh kind of arguing the same thing with each other. Um, so I, I love that freshness to it. So I'd have two and then I would have one because they're almost on par. And then the third one is where it gets lazy, where they start relying too much on talking about. And the Joe Pesci character is there for no reason. You know, you know what I mean? And so, so I'd have three as the, my third favorite. And then uh, again, Andrew, your nostalgia for the fourth one is great. I just think that to me, the fourth one always seemed like it was, it was cobbled together from outtakes from the other three movies. I don't know. I, I think I just got tired. And again, it doesn't have the, 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 the Riggs mullet. <laughs> I think that's what's really, that's what's really missing from it. It kind of like Hercules, it kind of, or, or Samson, it saps the power of the movie. So again, I, I, again, no, I, I don't, fault you for having that as your favorite that those are great reasons so my list is two one three and four all right uh and so for me uh two is also my favorite um and not just because the sex scene between him and that blonde was like one of the first sex scenes i ever saw on a, on a movie patsy kensett she was married to one of the gallagher's from oasis oh well good for him yeah. um <laughs> yeah. she's a very attractive woman uh right uh, yeah, that that movie. I, I like the second one. I would actually probably kind of uh, echo Andrew and say that I I like the fourth one too. The fourth one has a weird place in my heart too because it was it was like you know 1998 is when it came out. I don't think I saw it in the theater. I would have been old enough to see it in the theater. Well, not by myself. I would have been 16. Um, I did buy this. I think this is the only one that I own on DVD. Uh, I do like asking people if they remember the first DVD they bought because like from tape to DVD was such a huge deal. Like yeah. I remember the first DVD I bought was Romeo Must Die, which was a Jet Li film. And then the second film I bought was Gone in 60 Seconds. And then I don't remember from that. Uh, my first Blu-ray, I'm pretty sure was... No, I can't remember. I was going to say the fifth oh, element, but it's, it's not the fifth <clears throat> element. It might be. I can't remember. Anyway, why I remember one and not the other is, is strange to me. But I would actually yeah. probably put the fourth one. And I, it, the fourth one has problems. Chris Rock actually kind of annoys me in that movie. Because mm-hmm. like, he's not his normal Chris Rock. I think he's too much Chris Rock. Like the movie literally stops a, a few times so he can do a stand-up routine while everybody just kind of stands there and lets him do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I love the, you know, the, the Jet Li stuff and, and all that. So that one probably, so probably two, four, one, and three. Uh, in fact, the, the third one, I've only probably seen all the way, maybe two or three times, but it has this bit where um, he, Mel Gibson has to siphon gas from a gas tank. 
and he gets a little mm-hmm. bit in his mouth and he spits it out and he says, "Ugh, Exxon. You know, the, the, the joke being that one, <laughs> he's drank enough gas to know the different flavors, <laughs> but two, he says Exxon as the joke because I think we were like five months removed from the Exxon Valdez mm. or it was pretty yeah. recent, you know? So like get that taste out of my mouth. Yeah. So like, let's, let's make fun of them a little bit more, which is fine. But like that joke has stood the test of time with my dad. So like (laughs) if we drink something like legit, like we make a beverage or whatever and it tastes bad and we have to spit it back out. We always say, Oh, Exxon. It's just (laughs) one of those jokes that work with my dad. Uh, so awesome. Yeah. All right. Time for this. Wait, what's supposed to happen? We're going to give this movie a score from zero to 10. Uh, zero to ten, and I think Andrew will go first because why yeah. not? Because why not? Um, IMDb has it at a seven point six, and uh, I, I think that's fair. I'm gonna I'm gonna go right right along with it. All right, maybe actually I, I tell you what I'm gonna go seven point seven. Okay, just to be just to be fun. That's fine. This movie's fun. Uh, Darren. Well, the number rankings are weird because I always consider anything a six or above as good movies and anything. So that's a wide range, <laughs> anywhere from good to to perfect. Um, I think I would rate this as an eight um, just because it, it, it does what it needs to do. It doesn't go really any any further than any, it doesn't like break any rules or anything like that. Or it doesn't like go deep. And like we talked about with the mental health or with uh, the police state, of, it doesn't delve deep. It just does what it does. And it's happy to do what it does. So I, it gets a solid eight. for me. All right. Right on. Uh, I like this movie too. I think it's really good. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot of complaints other than what I've already said. Uh, I think an eight is really fair. And what does that do for the math? No, that doesn't work for the math. So I'm going to give it an 8.1. That makes the math really nice. There we go. That's a nice 7.93 repeating. I think that's a good, uh, that's a good score. Yeah. When you've done 400 episodes, you have to find a way to make it. We're all just a little different, you know? Yeah. Those pockets of joy. That's what that's what you need. Here, so the other movie that we did that's exactly the same score, a seven point nine three repeating, was Shutter Island. So this is in the same world as Shutter Island. Think wow. about that and chew on that for a second. And uh, well, yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I agree. Let's see what else is close to it. Gun to Kimbo is real close to this <laughs> at seven point eight six. Is that the Daniel Radcliffe? Movie? Yes. Movie oh, is so right. fun. It's so fun. Go watch it yeah. right now. Uh, and the last movie that's in the same ballpark would be Six Underground. Six Underground. Get a seven point. Michael Bay. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Bay, uh, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, did Michael Bay produce or direct it? I think he directed it. It's a straight to Netflix joint. Darren, please tell our listeners where they can find your show. You can find me, uh, the only real social media place I'm active on is uh, Twitter. So you can find me at D.W. Lindbergh. Again, NostalgiaCast is my handle. You'll see a picture of Kevin Costner in a field of corn. Uh, it's kind of my avatar there. Yeah, I was really um, surprised. You don't look anything like your picture. I was a little bummed out. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. I, I look more like uh, people compare me more to Ben Affleck for some reason than Kevin Costner, which I think I'd rather be Kevin Costner. Um but yeah, Nostalgia Cast. If you can, uh, the the link tree by, is there. You can look us up on uh, Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, on Libsyn, our main site, um, uh, iHeartRadio, anything. And again, we just we 
like our title says, we take movies that we're nostalgic for and we look at them to see if they stand the test of time or if they're past their prime. Uh, our upcoming, we just finished our second season, I guess, if you want to call it that. And we're starting up our third and next little bit where instead of looking at 80s movies, we're going to look at 90s movies that we absolutely love. Uh, so we can actually gush about them a little more instead of uh, nitpick them to death. So that'll be a fun upcoming season uh, that we'll do. But yeah, we'd love to get some feedback from everybody. We'd love to get some input. Again, that's where I, I know you guys from is, is uh, obviously our, our podcasting. We've crossed paths and so we've become friendly and stuff like that. So again, we'd love to hear more from everybody and get more feedback and some interaction. Nostalgia cast. Awesome. Yeah, go check it out. It's good stuff. It's a good show. Very, very thought-provoking stuff. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> unlike the lowbrow uh, dick jokes that we do here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to play the clip from last week. Okay. Yeah, I'm, like was, Sean, I'm pretty sure you have some clips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm not going to play them. Uh, oh, my gosh. So that's it. That's our show. Thanks, for all, everybody, so much for listening. Next week, what are we doing? Well, I will tell you what, you do, what we're doing because I have that information in front of me. We are watching The Accountant. Speaking of Ben Affleck, we're doing The Accountant uh, with our guest uh, jury room podcast, The Jury Room Podcast. Uh, very excited for The Accountant. Uh, I've seen that movie two or three times. I am a big fan of it, and I'm going to... F- uh-huh. Let's no, you're not wrong. Anna Kendrick is in it. She's super cute, and anything she's in, I'm willing to watch. And it also forces. Uh, I've already told my wife this. Um, so my wife teaches uh, children with special needs, and the accountant. If you're unaware, Ben Affleck stars as no. a uh, he's he's autistic, and it uh, this movie allows my wife to kind of flex her muscles a little bit and say. Hey, this is some stuff that they got right, and this is some stuff that they got wrong, and this is why the father figure is a horrible human being. So uh, that analysis is coming next week in the form of probably words that I will read, not her actual voice, but that's fine. That's next week. In the meantime, go check out our website, cheapseatreviews.libsyn.com, facebook.com slash cheapseatreviews, and, of course, Twitter is at cheapseatcast. Next week... I have uh, an announcement to make, so I'm gonna tease it there. Little, uh, uh, a little big thing. That's a that's a phrase. It's a little big thing. It's a little <laughs> big thing that we're doing something new. Uh, real little, uh, yeah, the little big thing. I'm very excited for this, and so I'm gonna let it sit there for a week and marinate. So how about that? Darren, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a blast. So on be on behalf of Darren and Andrew and Sam. This is Sean saying thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. This is Cheap Seat Reviews.